0: Today's reading is from Luke 10, 25 through 37. It's on page 958 of your Bibles, and it's on the screen as well. This is God's... Did that just stop working for a second? Okay. On one occasion, an expert... In the law, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" "What is written in the law?" he replied. "How do you read it?" He answered, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul." with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, Do this and you will live. But, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, "The the one who had mercy on him." Jesus told him, "Go and do likewise." The word of the Lord There was a story about a guy who lived outside and he went to church and wanted to check that out and he was wearing very dirty, torn clothes. He smelled horrible. He, he went in and he was trying to get into it, listening to the songs and the sermon about loving your neighbor. And so he was shaking hands and, and some people were avoiding him, uh, kind of to be around the stench and. Uh, didn't get a real warm reception. The pastor leaned in when he shook his hand and said, if you come back, pray and ask God how you should dress and clean up for church next time if you come back. He came back the next week exactly the same, dirty, torn clothes, smelling. The pastor was a little ticked off and said, I thought I told you to pray about how to come here to our church. And he said, I did. I asked God. And he said, I don't know. I've never been there. <laughs> That's just a joke. That didn't, that didn't really happen. In fact, I think the Spirit of God does show up in a lot of places where we're not very neighborly. A lot of places, Uh, not here. You guys were very kind. Someone handed me some food. I don't even know who that was. Uh, She's gone. Maybe it was an angel. Maybe you don't know that was me, but somebody handed somebody food, and that was me. Thank you. Someone gave me coffee. I think Dan gave me coffee. Thanks, Dan. Um, Luke 1 through 9 is all about who Jesus is. And Luke 10 starts talking about what do Jesus' followers, his disciples, look like? How do they, you know, what do they do? And the the beginning of the chapter, right before the passage we read, is all about the first missionary journey, the first evangelization campaign uh, that Jesus sends his folks out on. The idea is the gospel needs to be spread. This is good news Bring it to folks, wherever they are, and urge them to believe it. And then right afterward comes this story. When two things come right after each other in the Bible, you've got to pay attention. They go together. Bring the gospel to everyone. Urge them to believe it. And how do you do that? By being a good neighbor. By radical neighboring. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, been a Cubs fan since 1968. I don't want to talk about it right now, I'm still in mourning. I grew up in Wheaton, and uh, there's a story about some donors for Wheaton College. Wheaton is a suburb of Chicago. There were some Wheaton students who were going into Chicago to do various things. And these donors said, we love it that Wheaton College students are going into the dangerous neighborhoods of Chicago and bringing the gospel, sharing the news of Christ. That's great. We're not so sure about all the kind of justice stuff they do with food, clothing, shelter, um, fighting against injustice, um, education, poverty. We're not as comfortable with that. And the missionary who lived in Chicago said, well, let me ask you a question. Where do you live and why? And... The answer uh, had to do with uh, realty, real estate. So what are the top three reasons for living somewhere? Everybody knows that, right? So what does that mean? What does that mean, location, location, location? Well, it means uh, good schools, resale value, parks, amenities, beauty, uh, safety, You know, all these things. And the missionary from Chicago said, those are great reasons to live somewhere. Those those are great things to think about when you're raising a family. And my neighborhood doesn't have those things. And we want to work so that all of the folks in our neighborhood can have those things too. I thought that was a great answer. And uh, so here's the idea that the, the gospel going out has everything to do with justice, has everything to do with being a neighbor in a radical way. Only 108 years. Next year, next year, Cubs, right? It's only been 100. You know, I tell people they won it back to back in 07 and 08. And, you know, some... Some non-baseball people are like, well, that's great. 1907, 1908. Yeah. John Perkins talks about the three R's, uh, relocation being one of them. Going to where the people are and allowing their needs to become your needs. How do you look at folks who are hurting? Jesus tells the story that we read to a religious law expert. He's not a lawyer per se, he's a he's kind of a church guy. He's a, an expert in the law of God. And he's trying to trip Jesus up, he's trying to trap him. Why? Because he's a law expert, and Jesus has a reputation for what? You know, law experts were kind of good at dividing folks up, you know, who's in and who's out, and who's kind of towing the line and who's not. Jesus had a rep for being welcoming to all types, even those types that were sinners, they called them. You know, people who didn't give a fig for the law. And Jesus kind of had that reputation. And basically what he was asking Jesus was, okay, law or no law, Jesus. He's trying to get him to say, he probably thinks Jesus is going to say, oh, you know, Law is it's not that important. Everybody, everybody come on in. Everybody's welcome. It doesn't really matter what you do. And that would be a gotcha kind of moment for this law expert. He expects Jesus to soften the law and say, oh, God will accept everyone. But Jesus says stuff like, I didn't come to abolish the law. In fact, not a jot or tittle will be taken out of the law. That's where that phrase comes from. Uh, I've come to fulfill the law. And Jesus, in a lot of his stories, talks about how that happens. So Jesus comes right back at him. When you're, when you're trapped, what do you do? You come back with a question. And Jesus has a little trap of his own. And he says, well, how do you read it? You're an expert. You know." And the guy rattles off the Sunday school answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Give me a gold star, Jesus. And Jesus kind of lets them get away with that and says, yeah, you got it. Go for that. Yeah, just do that. And maybe you've heard that before. It's somewhat common to hear that. But what does that really mean? One theologian says that your religion is what you do with your solitude. When your mind has no distraction. Where does it go? When you have nothing to do, what does your brain do? I know that doesn't happen anymore unless you drop your phone in a puddle or something, right? We never have nothing to do anymore. Uh, I know I get a little jumpy when I don't have a book with me. So does my daughter. She's like, how far is this car trip? I have to have a book with me. Um... Where does your mind go? Does it dwell on God? His beauty? His excellence? Well, I don't know. This theologian says, wherever your mind goes, that's what your religion is. That's your ultimate concern and your faith. This law is saying, love God so much that he dominates your solitude. We don't get much solitude nowadays, right? I don't know where your mind goes, but I fill up my empty spaces a lot. For me, it's like an entertainment bath, like a warm entertainment bath. Entertain me, make me laugh, you know, at least give me a poignant or funny clip, you know, constantly. I have to remove myself and put myself in a park early in the morning with no phone in order to disconnect. And if that's not true of you, it might be true of your kids. Uh, but that's, that's happening. We've got stuff all the time. Does God dominate your solitude? Or do you avoid it altogether? Oh, and when you get that all down, love your neighbor as yourself. This is easy stuff, right? Meet all the needs of your neighbor with all the intensity that you meet your own needs. Be as happy for them when they have their needs met, as you are for yourself. Uh, find your happiness inside of the happiness of others. Is anyone getting uncomfortable? This is uh, more than just a list of good things to do and bad things to avoid. It's a whole new way of life. It's a, a radical character, character change. And Jesus goes even further. It's more than a way of life. Jesus starts to push for something more. He says it's a way to life. So if you're feeling the weight of this, like that's impossible. That's good. That's coming. Here's a little more. Uh, One way to see if you're like this guy, this guy who tries to justify himself, uh, think about what you do when you're asked to confess. We do that here every week. And we, even, we do it corporately and there's, there's a little time of silence. Okay, come on. What do you guys do during that silent time? Does your mind wander? I mean, uh, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, are you like... Um, okay. Uh, I was... Bad. <laughs> to someone that at one time, yeah, you're trailing off. I mean, is it hard to figure out? I mean, for me, it's kind of both ways. Like someday, sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I know what I've done. <laughs> and other days, you know, I'm a little fuzzy. <laughs> like, you know, mine kind of wanders off. If you're not sure if you've got anything, um, then maybe this story that Jesus tells is for you. So that's good news. This religious scholar kind of does what we all do. He tries to justify himself. He says, come on, Jesus, be realistic here. Come on, it's just us. You know, how good do I really have to be? I mean, I'm... I'm doing pretty good, you know, relatively speaking, Jesus. I mean, look at your own followers, Jesus. That Matthew's a freaking thief. And Peter, duh. I mean, come on. Jesus, who? Who's my neighbor? You know, what can I get away with? This guy's whole life says, Jesus will accept me if I'm good enough. And Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't allow for that self-justification. The guy summarizes the law and Jesus says, Okay, go ahead and do it. That's a good way to live. There's nothing wrong with being a rule follower. Right? Any rule followers out there? My wife is one. We always say that her rebellious years are ahead of her. She's not here today. Hmm. Maybe the rebellion has started. She's at my daughter's soccer game. But, hmm. Jesus says, though, if you think that's the way to eternal life, that's crazy. You could never do it, for one. And the guy's like, yeah, I know. So what's the real standard? Come on. It's you and me. How can I slide in there? Now, when I hear this, he may be testing Jesus. He may be, you know, kind of an ass. All the kids are gone, right? I said that. Okay. Um, but I also wonder if he's really, really sincere. If he's, you know, kind of having a moment where he's saying, I really, I really want to really get this. Can you feel the tension? I, I think, I hear him saying it like, uh, well, who is my neighbor? Like, "What, do, Jesus, you know, this guy might be really sincere. Jesus, tell me. Tell me what to do. Well, there was a man who was traveling on a well-known dangerous road. And he was taken by robbers and beaten half to death and this guy's on the edge of his seat. Wait, wait, you're telling a story now? Is this my answer? What's happening? And you know, maybe we're on the edge of our seats too. Like I I want to know. Jesus, tell me. How do I how do I live? He's telling the story and we're on the edge of our seats and the hero of the story is the perfect neighbor. I mean, He takes him, he pours medicine on him, he gives him all his resources, he lets him use his own vehicle, his own donkey, he uh, takes care of him in every way, he meets every kind of need, physical needs, financial, transportation, medical, spiritual needs, this is holistic ministry, and this is very costly. Two denarii would take care of that guy for two or three weeks in the inn. And this story, remember, the guy is saying to him, what's the minimum standard can I get away with? How can I slide through? And Jesus is saying, this kind of hugely radical, sacrificial love, that's the minimum standard. Do that. And the guy is like, meet all the concrete needs around you of every type, even from people that you ordinarily despise and those who are different from you. There, that's the minimum. (laughs) What? Jesus is showing the guy what life as a follower of his could be like. Not what will bring him life, but rather it shows if you are spiritually connected to me and alive, this is the kind of stuff That will happen. The fruit doesn't make the tree alive. But it shows that it's alive. And this guy. In the story. Who's half dead. What happens to him in the end? He survives. He lives. And he's experienced. The grace. From a hated stranger. Could it be. That this hated guy, the Samaritan, also experienced grace? A life that is poured out in compassionate service, especially to those on the margins, shows that you have met me. That's what Jesus is saying in this story. And it begins to dawn on this really good guy. He's one of the good ones. The guy asking, trying to trap Jesus, he's a good guy. It begins to dawn on him that Jesus is telling a story and he's not the hero of it. We like to be the heroes of the stories, don't we? Let's be reasonable, Jesus. (laughs) The story you're telling is making me feel guilty here. Now wait, wait, slow down. Who do I got to love? Jesus says, watch out. Your neighbor is a bitter enemy. We try to put limits on stuff. There's no limits love anyone in need across racial socioeconomic barriers we also try to limit based on whose fault it is have you ever heard the phrase the deserving poor okay and uh do we sometimes do that try to decide whether to help based on whether they're deserving or not um, i know i do that sometimes there was a there was a couple that i met 10 years ago, and they told a story of Hurricane Katrina that was outlandish, and uh, it, didn't, it didn't sound right. And there were people in my church who were responding to the story with a lot of scrutiny. Uh, it sounded like a totally made-up story, and it was. We found out later. But at the moment that we were hearing that story, I remember thinking to myself, if they made up this whole story about how they need help because of this and that, and I know it's all BS, if they made all that up, then they need some help. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, there, there is something going on there where they need... So, they became good friends of ours and, I, and I've known them now for over 10 years. And uh, that was the beginning of the relationship, though. It was kind of a, a decide You know, and and maybe you guys. The only reason I did that this morning is that is so some of you could, you know, just kind of feel feel again because you felt it before. But feel in in yourself. How does that? How do I react? How's that first reaction to someone who's um, you know a little bit off, standing in our doorway, looking kind of raggedy? You know, how do I how do I react and So I'm not trying to point out anything big about that. I just wanted to get you feeling a little bit of that. The poor that are living Here, there was no scrutiny on the road. There was no interview. There was no intake session on the road. He just got off his donkey and ministered to the guy. In fact, uh, everybody who heard this story knows that the Samaritans and Jews hated each other so much and blamed each other so much that the Jews listening to the story would know that the Samaritan who was coming down the road would immediately know for sure that that half-dead guy was not deserving at all. He should have known better. He's part of the oppression class anyway. He's probably in a gang himself. And there's all kinds of excuses to make sure that that guy was not deserving. And then there's a whole other range of excuses uh, for the folks who are going by. You know, I'm late. I'm busy. I got something to do. My church service is about to start. If I touch this guy, I'll be ceremonially unclean. Uh, It's irresponsible, all kinds of reasons to stay away. It has been said that if Jesus came only to help the deserving, he could have saved himself a trip. We also limit how much. I'm only making ends meet myself when I reach over a certain hump. Then I can kind of cut from my excess and help, right? We do that. Uh, This is a well-known dangerous place. It's called the Pass of Blood. He's there dying. Everyone knows they pass by on the other side because it would be dangerous and perhaps fatal to stop. It's just common sense. But this radical sacrifice the Samaritan makes, he risks everything. He pays whatever it takes to take care of this man and he gives his time. Sometimes the most precious thing we have is our time. Is that right? Does that sound... I mean, I know our time is really worth a lot. He sacrifices his time, real money, takes care of the guy for two or three weeks. He doesn't just give leftovers. Uh, Do you ever give out the stuff that's your favorite stuff? Usually we give out stuff that we don't like anymore. Right? If you give your favorite stuff, it's usually to someone you really care about, someone who's close to you. This is a total stranger. Galatians six two says, "Bear one another's burdens, unless it burdens you." No, oh, wait, that's not part of it. Just checking to see. Just checking. That's what we do, though. Sometimes we we say, um, you know. If you're bearing someone else's burdens, it might be burdensome to you, right? But we tend to take on stuff that doesn't, we don't feel that much. My aunt and I have, have a little joke, she's kind of funny, but uh, it's the least I can do, you know, and uh, no, really, I thought about it for a long time, and this is the absolute least I can do. That's, that's why I'm doing it. But, but sometimes we do that. There's no such thing as a person who can afford this kind of stuff. There's no such thing. If you're waiting to afford it, keep waiting. If you can afford the help that you are giving, you're not helping enough. That's radical neighboring. And it begins to reveal the gospel truth that's even deeper. So this guy is sitting there thinking, give to people when you hate the sight of them, people who've brought this on themselves, when their burden is burdensome, so you experience some of their difficulty. That goes back to John Perkins, one of my heroes. Make their needs your needs. Really feel it when you're with folks in relationship. How can you get anyone to live like this? Well... Couple there's a way you can't that won't work, and another another way that will. The way that won't work is guilt and invoking morality. The Bible commands it. Don't you feel bad? Give to others. Jesus doesn't do that here. He puts the most moral people in the universe here, the priest and the Levite, in the story as the folks who can't do it. These are the people in real life who actually give to the poor. The priest and the Levite give regularly, very regimented, 10%. They, everybody knows in the culture, Oh, they're, they're the givers. They're the ones who do it. Jesus puts them in the story and it's so radical that they don't even touch it. They cross to the other side of the road. When their lives are on the line, They can't do it. Morality can make you a little bit jealous and a little bit guilty, but it can't change your life. It can't get you to where Jesus wants you to be. Remember, Jesus isn't trying to make this guy feel guilty. The original problem, remember, was who is my neighbor? And where does Jesus put the guy in the story? He doesn't put him on the horse as the hero and say well, there was once a guy just like you riding a donkey and he came along and saw a Samaritan half dead in the ditch and he got off and helped him now you go do the same that guy would have laughed Jesus out of there and said that would be like being a traitor to my own people I'm not going to do that that's ridiculous that's ridiculous Jesus puts it the other way around. The hated Samaritan was the hero on the horse. And you, Jesus said, what if you were the one in the road bleeding to death and the only way to live for you? He said, how do I inherit eternal life? The only way for you to live is free grace from a sworn enemy. One who does not owe you any love at all, but owes you the opposite. Mark and I try to get together weekly to pray. And he said one time years ago, that, and I like this, he said, when we get together, let's just remind each other of the gospel. And this story does that. We, we kind of remember how sinful we are, how sufficient Jesus is how much of a great samaritan he is to us it's good grace from someone who owed you nothing but rejection and this lawyer is listening to this only then will you be able to look at others differently only then you could be a radical lover of all your neighbors the wrong class the wrong race, the irresponsible, the undeserving poor. Jesus says you will never be a radical neighbor until you feel that love from a radical neighbor, until you've received that grace. Where do we get something like that? We say, who is my neighbor? But Jesus says, who has been a neighbor to you? The guy, you know, the way I read it, he could barely choke it out. He doesn't want to say the S word, right? Who was a neighbor to you? And the guy's like, that guy, the, the, the one who had mercy. But maybe, maybe this story hit home. And maybe this sincere, good guy was really asking. Maybe he was really listening. And maybe he was starting to really be blown away by the gospel. And maybe he said it like this. You know, the Bible doesn't come in audio, like from the original, right? So we don't know exactly the inflection, which is a great thing about reading the Bible out loud. Maybe he said it like this. Maybe he was on the edge of his seat, that whole story, and maybe something was opening up in him, and maybe us, maybe he said it like, are you kidding? The Samaritan? Could it be? Could it be that that one, the one who had mercy on him, was the neighbor? When you, when you hear it like that, it gives me goosebumps to think that this guy might have really been responding. Could it be? Could it be that I am in need? I? That I am broken and my self-justifying schemes themselves have left me bloodied on the side of the road gasping for life? My need for control has squeezed me? My... Addiction to my own way of doing things is cutting me apart. Maybe my idolization of family and my perception of how I'm getting everything done just right for my family, maybe that's crushing my bones. And there I am, and the one who made me, the one that I turn away from, the one that I ignore in my solitude, rides up owing me nothing. And he is my good one who has compassion on me, though it cost him everything. Can I respond then? Knowing that, can I then respond with radical gospel neighboring of others, even to them? And maybe them for you is of a different political persuasion. Only twelve months ago. Oh my gosh. Maybe them is some folks in your own family, people at work. Maybe you're maybe you're isolated in enclaves at home and work and you don't run into anyone who Gives you the heebie-jeebies. To do that, that radical neighboring, you've got to open up your heart through prayer. Open your eyes to see those around you. Open your hands to receive that grace so that it can overflow to others. What should you do with the guilt? Uh, just allow it to press on you a little bit. Right? You have to be overwhelmed by the mercy that God asks you to have for others. Perhaps, in order to really receive deeply the mercy that he gives you. He offers it to all of us through the great Samaritan, Jesus. The rescuing love of the gospel of Jesus can penetrate us, and then we can go and do likewise Charles Spurgeon a famous pastor. He said this, let it never be forgotten that what the law demands of us, the gospel really produces in us. Let's pray. God, will you help us to see the mercy that you ask us to have on others in a way that overwhelms us in a way that helps us to see the incredible grace that you pour into us so that then we can walk in the steps of the one who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Amen.